Welcome and thanks for joining us today on the Abundance Podcast. We'll go ahead and get started in prayer. Hello God, you're awesome. Thank you for this opportunity to come together as believers. Thank you that your desire for our life is only good and that not only did you send your son to die for us, but you sent your Holy Spirit to live in us and be with us on this earth and to guide us. So we just thank you God. We give this time to you. I ask that you go beyond my words and you meet each person right where they're at. Thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit. And we give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're going to jump right back into the life of David in this series entitled David's Journey. And today's episode title is More Examples of David's Faithfulness. So again, one of our foundation scriptures for this series has been Romans 15.4, which says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So we're looking at the life of David to learn from it. And when we see how faithful God was with David, it'll give us comfort and give us a hope for the future. So we're picking right back up in chapter 18. And that was after David killed Goliath and King Saul asked him who his father was. So 1 Samuel 18.2 Saul took him that day and would not let him go to his father's house anymore. So what we can see here is that (laughs) it's quite obvious that David was instantly promoted. King Saul was really grateful and thankful for what God had done through David that he knew he needed to have him around him. 1 Samuel 18.5 So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now there's a couple really impressive things that I took away from this that I want to point out. First, even though David was only 17 or so years old, he didn't let the instant fame go right to his head. Okay, This verse says that wherever Saul sent him, he behaved wisely. And yes, we're looking at David's journey in this series, but really the underlining theme has been how David is a man after God's own heart, that he desired to do things the way that God wanted him to do them. David wasn't getting all caught up in himself. Okay, David knew that the reason he had success was because of God, and he depended on God to guide him in everything that he did. Second, what's really impressive is how it says that the men of war actually accepted David (laughs) being put in a position of authority over them. Again, I've already said it, but he's around the age of 17. And these are grown men, grown soldiers, who accepted him being put in a position over them. And I'm going to share a story with you that I've gotten to, you know, personally see unfold for about the last six or seven years. And my hope in sharing this is that you'll be able to take something away from it either to help you at your church or at your job or even with your family, but that in some way, shape, or form, Holy Spirit will show you how this example can apply to your life in the past or even remind you of it in the future. So my church is currently undergoing a change in the lead pastor position. And in our situation, it's a really good circumstance. Okay, and what I mean by that, it's not happening because, you know, someone died or, you know, there was some sort of moral failure by the lead pastor. You know, it's not one of those circumstances, okay? 
the reason this change is underway is because it's been planned. Okay, it's been in the works for several years. Our lead pastor, who actually is the founder of the church, is passing on the proverbial baton to his son in a little under two weeks by the time that this episode is released. Now, this isn't a situation where the son is taking over just because the dad is ready to retire. Okay, first, the lead pastor who's now going to be stepping into an associate pastor role, he's not retiring. Okay, he's just simply in fellowship with Holy Spirit and is being directed by God to pass on that lead role to the next generation, to the next person. And really, if you think about it, how many of us would be willing to give up something that we worked really hard for, something that we started, if God asked us to do it? (laughs) And I'll just let you think about that yourself. It takes true humility to be willing to do something like that and to not fight back when God (laughs) shows you that's what he wants you to do. So, you know, first off, this man's obedience is awesome. But in this situation, he's not hiring and bringing someone, you know, from the outside in. It's his son who's going to be stepping into that lead pastor position. And the new lead pastor is someone who's been doing ministry basically his whole life. You know, he started out doing kids' church when he was really young, as soon as he could start serving. And there was a time frame there for 15 years where he was the, the youth pastor. And over the last seven to eight years, has been in the lead associate pastor role. Now, the reason I'm mentioning all this is because I've got to see firsthand how people are not always willing to submit to someone who is younger than them. <laughs> The soon-to-be lead pastor is either 38 or 39 years old, which, you know, I'm not saying is old because I just turned 40 myself. (laughs) But, you know, I'm just saying it's not like he's super young either. And I could tell you all sorts of stories of people who haven't accepted this new lead pastor being put in that leadership position, you know, just like King Saul's soldiers did to David. People who didn't see the vision. They didn't agree with it. They became offended. They were gossipy and backbiters in their final season of time of attending our church. Now, having said all that, can God lead us away from a church? Yes, absolutely. But it won't be done with any of those things that I just talked about. (laughs) If we're leaving offended or we're backbiting or we're talking trash, I can tell you that's not God. And have I seen... Those who left our church do it in the right way? Yes. But I'll tell you what, it wasn't many. There was a lot of silly things that were done and said. And I'm not saying that from a position of being all high and mighty. But one of the reasons why several of the people who left the church said they were was because they wanted the founding pastor to continue to be the lead pastor. That they didn't want to sit under the leadership of the new pastor coming in, you know, specifically his son. But what they probably didn't realize is that when you say something like that, if you boil it down, if you take off all the layers and you get right to the root, what you're saying is that you don't believe that that pastor who you want to be in that lead pastor position to continue on doing it, you don't believe that he's hearing from God. 
And someone would say, no, 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 that's not it at all. You know, I want them to be the pastor. That's what I want. But what they're missing is that the reason that pastor is turning over the reins to the next pastor is because he believes he's being directed by God. (laughs) And if you disagree with that decision, again, if you boil it down, ultimately what you're saying is that you don't believe that that very pastor you're in quote-unquote support of is hearing from God correctly. And I'm just going to go ahead and leave that one there, but I'm believing that that was for someone. Because a real sign of spiritual maturity, one of them, is when you can submit yourself to the leadership even if you don't agree with every decision that they make. You know, as long as it doesn't violate the Word of God. I'm not telling you to do something that violates the Word of God. But ultimately, can we submit to those who are in a position of authority over us? And ultimately, we'll see later on that David gives us a great example of how we can do this because he did it. Because if you're someone that becomes offended every time you don't like the color of the new carpet or the paint on the walls or that so-and-so's idea was accepted and yours wasn't, or that someone else was recognized and you've been going to the church for 20, 30, 40 years and you've never been recognized like that. (laughs) I'm saying in this in love, you're not as spiritually mature as you think you are. Now, when we submit to God, he can turn all that around and he can change our heart posture with that. But we really need to monitor our hearts. And just to be clear, (laughs) all of this is not some cry for me trying to say, that I disagree with the decision that's been made at my church. Okay, that's not it at all. <laughs> you know, I, I, I would assume that that goes without saying, by the way I'm describing this, but I, I'm not going to leave any gray area there. No, I, I'm in full support of what, what's happening. God's been so good to me. <laughs> I am so blessed to work with the people I do at my church. And it's hard for me to even imagine something being a better situation for me currently right now. I'm sure your situation is good, but for me, I just know God's got me right where I'm supposed to be. You know how sometimes we look back and we recognize that where we were was the good old days, but while we're in the middle of it, it's it's hard to recognize it because, you know, there's always stuff going on. But then when it's past, we're like, man, that was really a good time. Those were the good old days, whether for some It's looking back to their high school days or their college days or, you know, the kids get grown up and they look back and now they can see, man, those those were some great days, but those days are gone. Well, I know that I know that I know that I'm in those good days right now. Okay, and I'm not saying that the future won't be full of good days. I'm not saying that at all. But right now, I'm working with a group of people and probably working is not the right word, but I'm serving with, we're making a decision to attempt to advance the kingdom of God. But I'm working with these other believers that genuinely care for one another. (laughs) And it wasn't always that way. And again, that was some of the things that I got to see firsthand. But right now, I'm working with a group of other believers that genuinely care for one another and who are like-minded, putting Christ and others above themselves. And it's awesome. (laughs) I've got it so good that even my wife works in the same building that I do. 
and we have a child care at our facility. And so my wife is a part of the child care staff. And so I can go see her anytime I want. And then on top of that, my kids attend the child care. Well, they used to at least. Only one is left out of the three. But I can go down and see him anytime I want. So I'm just saying, God has just been showing off. <laughs> it's awesome. But anyways, back to David. It's incredible that not only was this 17-ish year old young man put in charge of Saul's army, but it was even more incredible that those soldiers, that those men submitted and accepted him as their leader. That's awesome. So verses six through nine. Now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, you know, which is Goliath, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. So what we're seeing here is that King Saul and David came back from defeating the Philistines and were greeted basically with a party. Okay, women were out there dancing and singing and just making a joyful noise. And in their joy, they sang a song that said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And when King Saul heard they were giving David the credit instead of him, Self-centeredness rose up again. And really, if you think back to what we read in verse 2, it didn't take all that long for how Saul was grateful for what David did for him to lose sight of that. Verse 8 says he became angry, very angry. Now, I know when we read Saul's response, it just said that he was angry. So we should probably you know, read that in like an angry voice. But when I read it in my head, I hear like a pouty little baby, <laughs> something like, oh, they're, they're saying David killed 10,000, but they're only saying that I killed a thousand. <laughs> what else is he going to take? My kingdom? <laughs> you know, so, something like that. Some whiny, defeated, selfish little brat. But what we're seeing here is that King Saul cared more about the people's opinion then he did the fact that God had just used the most unlikely source possible, you know, which was David, you know, being this 17-ish year old boy, to save the people. And I believe that scripture supports that God did this for the Israelites' people's sake, okay, not for Saul's sake. If you go all the way back to chapter 15, when Samuel told Saul in verse 28 that the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who was better than you. The next verse, verse 29 says, And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. So God didn't provide a way out for the sake of Saul, but for the Israelite people. And really, if you boil it down even further, basically for his great name. King Saul, like we looked at in the first two episodes of this series, was a man-pleaser. Okay, he cared more about the people's opinion than he did of God's. He was not a man after God's own heart like David. So Saul comes back from the battle. 
He doesn't like that the people are giving David more credit than he. And verse 9 says that he eyed David from that day forward. He was keeping an eye on him. And why is that significant? It's because if we view things through the lens of an offense, it will skew our vision. We'll be biased when we look at a person. We'll begin looking for them to mess up. We'll start to not give people the benefit of the doubt. And it will just snowball into something that we don't want. So we really need to guard our hearts from receiving an offense. And one way for us to do this today is to see people as someone that God created, someone he loves. Because, you know, let's say for the example, someone who seems on the surface to not be a believer in Jesus. We need to look at them through the lens that Jesus came and died for them too. The free gift of righteousness that was made available to you is the same thing that's been made available to them. The only difference is you accepted it and they haven't. If it wasn't for God's grace that he extended towards you and you accepted, you'd be in the same boat as them. And from that lens and from that mindset and the way we look at them, it'll help us with not receiving an offense as quickly. Or at least, you know, if we do, it'll help us in the process of letting go of that offense. It'll help us to recognize, oh, I became offended. And because I've been given grace and mercy, I should extend the same thing towards them. Verses 10 through 11. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now we definitely could dive into these verses a little bit more than I'm going to. But what I'm wanting to point out is that even though David just defeated the most undefeatable person at that time, this verse says that he went right back to playing the harp for King Saul when he became distressed, just like he did before when King Saul didn't even remember him. This verse even shows that David had played the harp for him more than one time. It says, as at other times, plural. And what do we see happen in verse 11? It says that Saul cast a spear at him saying he'd pin him to the wall. And what do you know? Saul wasn't a very tough guy when Goliath was out there yelling, but now, (laughs) a day later when they're back home, he became a tough guy all over again. But separate from Saul's inability to stay present in reality, (laughs) let's look at David's journey. It says David escaped his presence twice. Okay, so not just once, (laughs) but twice. Now, I don't believe this was because David was just a dumb guy. You know, he, you, you can tell he's not dumb at all. I believe he knew exactly what he was doing. God delivered him from the lion, the bear, and from the giant. So no man, even if he was king, was going to be able to kill him. Especially since David knew Samuel had already anointed him to be the next king. Now, even my description of that, I believe is more arrogant sounding than what David truly was. Now, all those things I just mentioned are true, but I believe David simply had such a heart to serve that he was willing to go back in and play his harp again to try and serve the king who was selected by God. And like it said, Saul threw the spear at him twice. And with this, it doesn't mention that David played the harp for him again when this happened. 
It just says that he escaped Saul's presence twice, so either way, <laughs> he had tried to been killed by the person he was coming to serve. Just like his brothers in the last episode, he came to serve them and bring them food because his dad told him to do it, but his brother mocked him and tried to make fun of him, but yet David didn't take on the offense and he just did what he felt he needed to do. Verse 12, Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Man, what a compliment to David that even someone who chose to make him his enemy (laughs) saw that God was with him. I don't want to just gloss over that because I want us to think about how that could apply to our lives. How awesome is it that David didn't try to promote himself? You know, he wasn't out there trying really hard or trying to give the appearance of being faithful and obedient. He just was, and others could see God's favor on him, even someone who viewed him as his enemy. Verse 13 through 16, Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely. Again, we see that phrase. He behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. So what I want us to see here is that God's favor was so evident in David's life that Saul didn't even want to be around him anymore. Remember, David played the harp for King Saul when the distressing spirit came on him. And my opinion is that Saul was so narrow-minded that at that moment, he forgot about how David was the one helping him. That he was playing the harp to try and help him not feel distressed. And yet he forgot about all that and wanted him to get away from him. So Saul put him in charge of a thousand soldiers. And again, it's just another example of how doors just keep opening for David. And as those doors continue to open for him, it says twice that David behaved wisely, even to the point where King Saul was afraid of him, but the people loved him. Verses 17 through 21. Then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter Mirab. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So David said to Saul, Who am I? And what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be a son-in-law to the king? But it happened at the time when Mirab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, the Mahatholite, as a wife. Now Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him, that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, You shall be my son-in-law today. Now, if you remember back to the last episode, what we saw was that King Saul had promised the person who had defeated Goliath three things which are found in chapter 17, verse 25, and one of which was his daughter. Now, it doesn't say specifically the amount of time that took place from when David killed Goliath until now, but with the way that this is presented, to me, it sure doesn't give the impression that King Saul offering his daughter to David was in correlation with what he had promised back when David killed Goliath. What I mean is, 
there's quite a few events that took place leading up to verse 17. You know, they came back from battle. And it says the next day, David goes back to playing the harp for King Saul. King Saul tries to kill him, you know, twice. He puts David over 1,000 soldiers to get him away from him. And as a result, the people loved him even more because he behaved wisely. So to me, when I read it, it seems like this is like a separate decision altogether rather than being kind of grouped together, you know, where David defeats Goliath and they come back and then he's like, hey, here's your reward. Here's my daughter that I promised you. You know, no, to me, it seems like they're kind of broken apart. Like there's some time that took place. And I'll defend why I believe that to be true in a moment. But as far as applying this example to our own life, how many of you have had someone not follow through with what they promised? Something where there was a stipulation you know, whatever it could be, and you fulfilled your quote-unquote end of the bargain, but the other party didn't. What we'll see from the life of David is that even when we've been wronged, it's no excuse to respond or retaliate in a way that violates God's word. Okay, now that doesn't mean that we're to be punching bags, but just like the other verses prior already talked about, we can choose to be like David and behave wisely. And from that, people will see that God is with us. Now, what even makes things worse is that when King Saul did offer his daughter to David, he did it motivated by self-centeredness. First, he used his daughter as a pawn to get David to do what he wanted, which was to fight for him. Saul said, be valiant and fight the Lord's battles. Now, keep in mind, David is still only around the age of 17 or so, and he's already been fighting. But then verse 17 reveals Saul's true intentions. His true intentions were for David to fight for him so that hopefully the Philistine army would kill him. But how did David respond? He responded with humility. He said, who am I? Or what is my life to be a son-in-law to the king? (laughs) That's awesome. David didn't say something like, well, it's about time. You know, you owe me. (laughs) Give me your daughter. He responded with a lowly heart, not thinking more about himself than he should. But how did King Saul respond? He ended up giving that same daughter away in marriage to someone else. So let's do a little recapping here, because there's a lot here. Saul didn't follow through with giving David a daughter after he killed Goliath. He tried to kill David twice. He then lies and tells David he'll give him his daughter if he fights his battles for him. But his real hope was that he'd be killed in battle. And then he goes on to give David's soon-to-be bride away to another man. (laughs) You know, this this is just wild. It's obvious that King Saul, since he couldn't kill David, was trying to just hurt him in whatever way he could. And again, apply this to your own life. The next time someone tries to hurt you, you can remember the heart that David had. And you too can honor God in your response, regardless of how others treat you. Here's a phrase for us to remember. And I'll tell you what, it it might even be worth writing down. It's not what people do to you that's the issue. It's how you respond. Okay, I'm going to say that again. It's not what people do to you that is the issue. It's how you respond. You and I have a choice with how we respond. 
There is no set response for when this happens, okay, this is how you have to respond. No. You can be led by the Spirit of God and choose whether or not you respond in a way that is God-honoring. Next, we see King Saul's other daughter, Michal, loved David. And it says Saul was told about this. So he has someone tell David a second time, today you'll be my son-in-law. But the thing about this is, again, Saul is acting in self-centeredness and evil towards David. The reason Saul gave her to him was so she could become a snare to him. And that's what verse 21 says. So if you think about it, she must have really been quite the delightful person to be around. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say why he thought this, but it could mean something along the lines of that, you know, she was really spoiled or that she was really mean or, you know, you fill in the blank. But whatever it was, Saul thought so low of her that he wanted to give her to him so that it would hurt David and that she'd become a snare to him. Now, when we started this series, I had planned on skipping over some parts and not trying to talk about every single verse. <laughs> and I'm not saying that we've done that exactly. But this is already part six of this series. And there's so much more I want to discuss from David's journey. But it's really hard to skip over the remaining verses from this chapter because it just continues to show the difference between King Saul and David and how David truly was a man that desired to do things God's way. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because we'll see later on in another episode, as we continue on, that David definitely makes several doozies of a mistake, you know, plural. They weren't what a lot of people would label, you know, quote-unquote, little sins. They were doozies. But even with that, we'll see how David takes responsibility for the mistakes that he makes and continues to seek after God. And why is that? It's because ultimately, he's a man with a heart for God. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and read verse 22 through the end of the chapter. And this will help us later on in the series. So verses 22 through 30. And Saul commanded his servants, communicate with David secretly and say, look, the king has delight in you. <laughs> Which, you know, that's obviously a lie. Someone who tries to kill you twice doesn't have delight in you. But anyways. And all his servants love you. Now therefore become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke those words in the hearing of David, and David said, Does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, In this manner David spoke. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry, but one hundred foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired. Therefore David arose and went, and he and his men, and killed two hundred men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full count to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him Michal, his daughter, as a wife. Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistine went out to war, and so it was, whenever they went out, that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. So here we see David's response to being asked a second time 
to be the king's son-in-law. And again, he responds in humility. David saw it as a big deal to be the son-in-law of a king. And why was that? Even though this man had tried to kill him several times and had it out for him by doing all sorts of things, David honored the position that Saul held. And that was because God was the one who anointed him to be king in the first place. David had such a reverence for God that what God established, he would honor and not get in the way of. So back in Bible times, and even in some cultures still today, there are certain groups of people who have a custom where a dowry is exchanged in order to marry someone. And a dowry is some form of payment. Now, if you want a better explanation of that, I'm sure you could go out there and find it. It probably won't be that too hard to find. But for now, I'm assuming that you just get the gist of what, what that is implying. But what we see happen next is another example of how King Saul tried to take advantage of David's pure heart. He tells David he needs to kill 100 Philistines, and when he does, bring back proof that he killed them. And the proof was that he wanted their foreskin. Now, that's pretty good proof that someone's dead. Okay, You're probably not going to fake that. (laughs) A man that has even the smallest amount of life (laughs) left in him is going to keep trying to fight you so that that doesn't happen. Anyways. And again, we see that at the end of verse 25, it tells us what King Saul's actual motives were. Saul wanted David to be killed at the hand of the Philistines. It wasn't to keep his daughter from marrying him. It was just because he wanted him dead. And what I want us to see here is that it doesn't mention anything about you know David being scared or that he was intimidated or anything like that. It says that it pleased David. Now, how could it please someone to hear that you had to fight and kill a boatload of people and try not to get killed yourself? The answer is because, again, David knew who his God was. He thought back and rehearsed the battles in his mind that God had already come through and won for him. And you and I should do the same thing. Just like God had been with David against the lion and the bear and Goliath, and really you could almost throw in the two times where King Saul tried to kill him with a spear, you know, that's part of it too, I guess. David knew that God was going to be with him in any situation. And we can really learn from this. Let me say, I can really learn from this. It's so easy to look at a situation and see the impossibility of it through the lens of what we see in the natural. But God is bigger than anything that we can ever imagine. He's bigger than any financial struggle you may be in. He's bigger than any relational issue you might see. He's bigger than any sickness. No matter if every single doctor you've seen has told you that it's impossible to be cured. He's bigger than it. But our battle is between our ears. It's understanding that Jesus has already done everything that he's going to do. He's already defeated everything. And our job is to believe and receive and to use the authority that he chose to give us. What I'm saying is that God's not holding anything back. He's not up in heaven looking at us saying, well, they haven't prayed enough or they haven't done enough good, so I, I'm not going to give it to them yet. No. He has taken the keys of authority from the devil and he's given them to us. And it's our job, if you will, to use that authority and believe and receive in what Jesus has already done. There's a verse that says that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly 
above all we ask or think. But that's not the end of that verse. The end of that verse says it's according to the power that works in us, that works in you and I. So I'm encouraging you as well as myself to remember God's faithfulness when things come our way that seem impossible. Because that's what we see here from the life of David. And just like earlier, I was talking about how good things are right now, how I love my job, I love the people I work with, so on and so forth. And I'm not necessarily in that context towards my job. But the word says that in this life, I'm going to have junk come against me. So why is this so important? Because, you know, talking about myself right now, in a season where things are going really good, that's when I really need to press in and establish this in my heart. So when things come against me, I want to try to minimize the amount of time it takes me to remember that, man, God was faithful before. He'll be faithful again. Because how many of you know (laughs) that when you're right in the middle of the battle, that's when it's the hardest to really, you know, quote unquote, buy into these principles. Okay, what I'm saying is, if we can become rooted and grounded in these principles before the storm comes, when the storm comes, we'll already be two, three steps ahead of the game. Rather than in like a boxing scenario, if you're moving forward and you're attacking, that's one thing. But if you get punched in the face and you take a couple steps back and then you're trying to advance and attack forward, you know, what I'm trying to say is that if we get this rooted and grounded in us, we can be on the attack when the storms of life come at us. So back to this story. David goes out with his men, and not only does he bring back 100 foreskins, he brings back 200. And I love what the first part of verse 28 says. Thus saw, saw, and knew that the Lord is with David. (laughs) Talk about an understatement. Saul and everyone around him could easily see that God was with David. Okay, what a compliment. Now, with hearing that, I feel it's important to point something out. David didn't go out and do that because he was searching for a compliment, okay? He was being obedient, obedient to a man God put in power, but ultimately he was being obedient to God. What I want you to understand is that our motivation shouldn't be to try and seek recognition or whatever else you can think of, okay? Don't seek that stuff. Seek God. When we're obedient to God simply because we value honoring him, All that other stuff will work itself out. But we need to monitor our heart and make sure we're not doing it for the wrong reasons. So what happens next in the story? This time, Saul follows through and actually does what he said he was going to do and gives David his daughter's hand in marriage. To end, verse 29 through 30 says, And Saul was still more afraid of David, so Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war, and so it was, whenever they went out, that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. So basically, the legend of David went out before him. (laughs) Okay, David didn't go out there and start telling everybody, oh, I did this, and I'm going to do that, and da-da-da-da. Like, the word just spread because David behaved wisely, and everybody saw that God was with him. David didn't want King Saul to be his enemy, but unfortunately, that's how King Saul perceived him. And you and I can't always affect 
how others perceive us. It's their choice whether or not they choose to not like us or whatever the case may be. The only thing we can control is our heart. And again, I think it's really important to mention this. When I say when we have to look at our heart, I'm not talking about like a surface level look. Okay, maybe I'm not describing this the best way, but even with our own assessment of our heart, we can think that, yeah, we've got the right motives. And what I mean by that is, you know, we can fool others. And sometimes we even fool ourselves. And I'm not trying to end this on like a Debbie Downer note. What I'm just trying to say is that (laughs) we really need to give an accurate assessment of our heart in all situations. Because at the end of the day, we're not fooling God. (laughs) We'll probably fool other people. But God knows whether or not our heart posture is where it really needs to be. And sometimes I think that we can hold back certain areas of our life you know, just a little bit. We're not fully sold out because it's hard to let go of that thing. And all I'm trying to say is that if we can truly let go and do things the way that God is asking us to do when we know that he's asking us to do it, it'll be better than what we can even imagine. We don't need to continue to hold on to that last little bit, thinking that God needs our help with whatever area of our life that we're talking about. Give it to him. Make that last little jump and God won't disappoint. Thanks for listening and join us again next time on the Abundance Podcast.